can you smell that smell? And I was a family of four and there was a lot of boys, so there was always something around. I will destroy you. I was literally writing them down and Andrew and I were texting them back and forth to each other. Don't be late and don't marry a bossy woman. Because I know he's going to say never marry a bossy woman, but I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to interpret that other than maybe stop being so bossy. <laughs> Complaining is a waste of time. Hard work pays off. He loves me. Who are you going to marry? What are you going to do about a job? And what are you going to do about Christ? And without the third, the other two don't even matter. Oh man, the challenge of listening to everything that my dad has to say is that my dad and I are the same exact person. Always try your best. Suck it up, it's not that bad. My voice is very hoarse today. Oh my gosh, yeah, I mean so much about finances all the time. Manage your time. Never give up. Cooper, don't eat that. That you need hair to survive the dog days of summer. Put your shoes away. I'm in the butt kicking business and business is good. Well, he usually gives me some kind of look or something. Get it right, ref. I don't know. Probably something really sarcastic. Like he all, I don't know. Is that a flying pest down your back? Guess what? You are one of those. No. He always says, I'm the favorite son. Good deal. Like a nice, big, loud. All right. I love you. You nailed it! Well, sometimes when I'm playing basketball, he calls me a baby giraffe because I don't know how to use my long legs and long arms. Usually whenever he tried to illustrate anything, he began by saying, it's like golf, or it's a lot like golf, or it's just like golf. Hey, okie dokie, see you later, alligator. Close the door where you raised in a barn. It's really hard. The most important lesson my dad ever taught me was well I would have to say well there's a bunch of lessons that he's tried to teach that he's taught me uh, <clears throat> I would say that never give up maybe Man, I don't want to make him look bad he goes here to always work hard at whatever I do to be on time though he didn't teach it very well because I'm always late <laughs> don't put that in there <laughs> God how to clean my room Properly. To believe in your dreams, you can do anything you put your mind to. Never to change who you are for a person. To have courage and be brave. Golf. How to do homework. To be polite. Uh, never give up and always work hard. Being myself and like not trying to be someone you're not. Um, to never give up. That no matter um, what you do, that you should always have a good attitude about it. Do what you say you're gonna do. To not disrespect your parents. Keep moving forward, never give up. That everything might not go the way you expect it to, but you just gotta roll with it. To never quit and just keep going and like go through the pain no matter what it is. Taught me Jesus. I think always be respectful to people. To believe in myself. The importance of church and being consistent and faithful in attending and participating in church and you know getting involved in the community there and really embracing embracing that value of loyalty and just how important that can be in your relationships with your friends and your family um, and then also how it's something that you should be looking for in others all right. Hey, good morning, everybody. 
I hope you enjoyed those elements in the service today as we focus on Father's Day. I want to welcome all the folks across the street, the video venue, and all those folks who are joining us online, wherever you might be. If you've got a Bible right now, I want you to take it and go with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis. Find the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and when you get there, find chapter 26 and hold that ready. Now, I'm going to share a message this morning that is blatantly focused on fathers on this Father's Day weekend. And uh, the message is called, How to Influence Your Children. While you're turning there, let me just ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life when someone said something like this to you? You're just like your dad. You've probably heard that. There are probably times when someone said that to you, and they said it to you as a compliment. And honestly, it was very encouraging to you. You were blessed by that. And then there were probably times when someone made this statement to you in exasperation because your dad could be exasperating. But whatever the motivation, I'm sure there are people here this morning who have heard that statement. Someone has said to you, you're just like your dad. There's a reason for that. The reason is because fathers have a tremendous amount of influence on their children. And if you're a dad, you need to understand that. You need to make sure that you use that influence in the right way. You know, being a dad is not easy. I think we would all acknowledge that this morning. And there doesn't seem to be a lot in our culture that encourages fathers to be good leaders in their homes. We don't, for example, see it on television because that doesn't make for good comedy. It's a lot funnier, and I use that word loosely, but it's a lot funnier to see a dad on television who's a doofus, who's the butt of every joke, and that's why we don't learn about being a father from watching television sitcoms. But it's not easy to be a dad today. A good father has to have balance in his life. He has to be a leader without being a tyrant. He has to be firm without being inflexible. He has to be strong without being overbearing. It isn't easy, and it isn't for cowards, because a father is tasked with the job of developing character in the lives of his children. And here's the thing that a lot of dads don't understand. You do this whether you're trying to do it or not. You're going to be the primary influence in the character, character development of your children. The only question that remains is, what kind of character will they develop? And so I want to talk to you about that for a little while this morning, and I want to do it referencing a very specific father and son relationship in the Bible. I want to talk to you about the relationship between a man named Abraham and his son, whose name was Isaac. Now, I don't know how much you may or may not know about Old Testament history today, but Abraham was a great man, and God was able to use Abraham in a great way. He wasn't perfect. We need to understand that from the beginning. He was far from perfect, and yet he was still God's man. There's no question about that. And so what I want to do is spend some time looking at the life of Abraham's son Isaac because it's in Isaac's life that we see the influence that was passed on from his father Abraham. And if you're a dad this morning or you want to be a dad someday this morning, I want to encourage you to pay close attention because, as I mentioned just a moment ago, you are influencing your children every single day of your life whether you know it or not, whether you're being deliberate about it or not, so you need to pay attention. Now, before we look at this passage in Genesis chapter 26 and we focus on Isaac, uh, let me give you a little bit of the backstory on Abraham, and I apologize because time doesn't allow for me to do this uh, with any detail. I have to do this in kind of an abbreviated way. And there was a time, and you read about this primarily beginning in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham, and his name wasn't even Abraham at that time, his name was Abram, 
God chose it, uh, changed it to Abraham later, but when Abraham was chosen by God to be the father of a new nation, and of course, that was going to be the nation of God's people, the Israelites, and God called him to leave his home and his family and go to a new land that God was going to show him. And when he did that, God gave Abraham a very bold promise, and you can see it on the screen. We'll put it up from Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. Here's the promise. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Then later in Genesis chapter 17, this time in verse 6, God's speaking to Abraham again, and he says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And then in the next verse, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7, God said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now, here's the deal. Let's pause for a moment. After making statements or promises like that to Abraham, then the natural expectation would be that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, would have children. But that didn't happen, at least not for a very long time. And then finally, we don't have the time to go into this story in detail, but finally, when both Abraham and Sarah were very, very old, well past the age of childbearing, God gave them a son and told them to name him Isaac. In fact, in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 19, it says, Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, having given you that abbreviated backstory, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward, and now it's several years later, and Abraham has died. Isaac is a grown man, and he has his own wife, and we're going to pick up his story in Genesis chapter 26. So if you've got your Bibles open there, wherever you might be listening to me, I want to invite you to stand in reverence and respect for God's Word, as we always do. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 26, a little bit longer than what we normally read, but not too long. So you just follow along because there's some great, great lessons for us to learn <clears throat> in this passage. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in this land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. And when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this? You have done to us. One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he had become very wealthy. 
He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent, and there his servants Dug a well. All right, there it is. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Word. You can be seated this morning. What a great, great passage of Scripture. It might not immediately seem like a great Father's Day passage, but I'm going to tell you that it is, and you'll see that as we get into this. There are really three events in this passage that tell us or help us understand, rather, how fathers can influence their children in a positive way. In fact, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. There are three things in this chapter that every father needs to give his children. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down next to number one this first thing. Every father should give his children, number one, something to continue. Write that down in your notes. Something to continue. Now, when we began reading Genesis chapter 26, we saw that there was a famine in the land. This is the land that God had led Abraham to uh, years before. And uh, Isaac now has traveled to the land of the Philistines to try to get relief from the famine. And right after that happens, God speaks very directly to Isaac. And it's important for us to know that the words He speaks to Isaac here relate the same basic promise that God had made to His father Abraham many, many years before. He's basically repeating the same promise to Isaac now that He had made to Abraham years before. We see it in verses 2 through 4. He said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. This is the beginning of the promise. I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Now, as I said, And this is important to hang on to, to understand this point. This is basically the same promise that God had made to Isaac's father Abraham many years before. In fact, he even acknowledges that. God even acknowledges that in verse 3 when he says, I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. And then we get to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5, and we're told why God is going to fulfill this promise to Isaac that was first made to Abraham. He says, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. Now, having said that, here's the point. And if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Dads, write this down. God started something in Abraham's life that he was able to continue in Abraham's son Isaac's life because Abraham was faithful to God. 
Let me say it again because it's so important. God had started something in Abraham's life that he was able to continue in Isaac's life because Abraham was faithful to God. God made a promise to Abraham that he was now fulfilling to Abraham's son Isaac because, everyone say because, because Abraham had been faithful to God. And here's the application. It's very, very simple, but very, very important. I need every father to listen to me really close. God wants to do things in your life that He can continue in the lives of His children. Did you hear me? God wants to do things in your life if you're a dad. He wants to do things in your life that He can ultimately continue in the lives of your children. And I'm not talking about things like passing on the family business. I'm not talking about things like making sure your children follow in your path. They go to the same college you went to or university you went to. They choose the same career that you have chosen. Even though I'm not minimizing those things, I know those are important traditions in some families. I'm talking about more than that, though. I'm talking about continuing a tradition. Actually, I like the word commitment better. I'm talking about continuing a tradition or continuing a commitment of faith and character and obedience and service. I'm talking about those things being evident in your life, and because they were in your life, God is able to continue them in the lives of your children. God wants to start something in your life that He can continue in the lives of your children. I'm talking about those kinds of things like faithfulness and character and obedience and service. I'm think, talking about those kinds of things so, being so strong in your life as a father that they become a part of the identity of your children because they saw them in you. That's what I'm talking about. You ever known anybody who said something like this? We're the Smiths, and Smiths never quit. You can hear somebody talk like that, and you can think, wow, that's really awesome. I wish I were a Smith. But you can't make a statement like that. You can't say, we're the Smiths, and Smiths never quit, unless you're willing yourself to live a life of perseverance no matter what. But if you can do that, if you can live that life of perseverance, you can pave the way for your children's success because never quitting and never giving up becomes a part of their identity. Since that was a part of your identity, it becomes a part of the identity of your children. It's as simple as being able to say to your children, Dad, listen. It's as simple as being able to say to your children, this is who we are, these are the kinds of choices that we make, and this is the kind of life that we live. This is who we are. That's what I'm talking about. You know, when Abraham Lincoln was a little boy, there was a time when his father Thomas moved his family from Kentucky to Indiana, and he did that because Abraham's father Thomas was strongly opposed to slavery and slavery was not permitted in Indiana. And you see in that story the kind of identity that he passed on to his son. I read a story this past week about Martin Luther King Sr. The story said that he entered a shoe store one day with his young son, Martin Luther King Jr. And when they entered the shoe store, they were told by a clerk that if they wanted to buy shoes, they would have to go to the back of the store and wait in the back of the store until someone was able to serve them. And Martin Luther King Sr. immediately spoke up to the clerk and said, we either buy shoes right here in the front of the store or we don't buy them at all. 
Now, I don't know because the story didn't say. I don't know if they left the store with shoes that day, but I do know that Martin Luther King Jr. left the store that day with a strong sense of identity and what was right and what was wrong when it came to the way you treated people. If you're a football fan, you recognize the name Kurt Warner. He played quarterback for the Rams and for the Cardinals, leading both teams to the Super Bowl. When his children were younger, he had a big family. When his children were younger and his family would go out to eat, he would always allow one of his children to scan the restaurant and choose a table, and then they would anonymously pay the bill for that table and their meal. And when you hear a story like that, you ask the question, what kind of identity do you think Kurt Warner was passing on to his children? He was passing on an identity of generosity and caring for the needs of others. Here's the bottom line. If you're a father this morning, fathers need to pass on something of value to their children. Fathers need to give their children something to continue, just like Abraham was able to give Isaac a heritage of faithfulness that he was able to continue in his life. If you're a dad, you need to give your children something to continue. God wants to do something in your life that He can continue to do in the lives of His children. Write down next to number two these words. If you're a father, you need to give your children something to avoid. That's number two, something to avoid. I know we already read this, but this is an important part of the passage, so look back with me at verse 6 and following in this story. It says, beginning in verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have, been, you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Stop right there. Now, honestly, this is one of the stranger stories in the Old Testament, which, again, honestly, is filled with some pretty strange stories. But what makes this even worse, and you may or may not know this, what makes this even worse is that what Isaac did in that moment that we just read about is almost identical to something that his father Abraham had done in his life years before. In fact, you can read about that in Genesis chapter 20 if you want to go back and look at that later. Here's the bottom line. Years before, Isaac's father Abraham was involved in a shameful, shameful act of cowardice that demonstrated a great lack of character, at least in that moment. He put his wife Sarah in an extremely dangerous and vulnerable situation in order to protect himself. And years later, what's so sad is that we find his son Isaac doing the exact same thing. Now, both men were wrong. Both men were terribly wrong. But I'm going to focus my attention on Abraham for a few minutes because Abraham was the father, and we're talking about what fathers need to pass on to their children or give to their children. 
Now, let me just tell you what I said earlier in the message. Abraham was a man of God. I don't have any doubt about that in my mind. I believe that completely. And because of that, God was able to use Abraham to do some incredible things in some incredible ways. And I personally believe that Abraham gives us the single greatest example of faith that you can find in all the Bible in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was willing to obey God and sacrifice his own son Isaac because that's what God had commanded him to do. As unthinkable as it is to us, that's what God had commanded him to do. And you read Genesis chapter 22 and you see that Abraham was willing to do that because of his faith. But Abraham was not perfect. He was a great man that God used in great ways, but that doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. And so here's an unfortunate truth that all fathers need to embrace. Your children are going to pick up on your shortcomings, and they're going to inherit your flaws. In fact, I bet if we all pause for just a moment, if every dad just paused for a moment, you think about your children right now, you can see something in their life or their lives that you know comes from you, and it may not reflect your best quality or your best character. Both of my children are impatient drivers, and I know why. It's because I'm an impatient driver. And by the way, I take advantage of this opportunity to apologize on behalf of my entire family if any of us have ever honked at you, or if any of us ever honk at you in the future. It's not personal. It's just a character flaw. If I could go back and I could get a do-over related to being an impatient driver in front of my children, then I would do that. I would take that do-over. But I got to be honest and tell you that while I was at it, I would do other things differently as well. And one of the reasons is because, and listen, dads, this is one of the most important lessons that I've learned after being a father for over 30 years. I want you to listen to me close. One of the reasons why, if I had a chance, I would go back and do some things differently is because children remember everything. They do. Let that soak in for just a minute. They do. Now, I can say that, and we might be tempted to chuckle a little bit as we think about some funny moments in life, but it's not all funny. Children remember everything. I just mentioned a moment ago that I'm an impatient driver. I can remember when my son Andrew was just little, little. He was just a baby. He couldn't have been more than a year old at the most. And he and I were in the car together. It was just the two of us. And he was in his car seat in the back seat. And we lived in Texas at the time. And I pulled up to a stoplight. And I was just sitting at the stoplight waiting for the light to turn green. Nobody was doing anything wrong. Nobody was getting on my nerves. I was just waiting for the stoplight to turn green. And while we were sitting in the car waiting, I could hear his little voice in the back seat in his car seat saying, Come on, lady. I told you I'm an impatient driver. That's not a surprise. We've talked about that before, and I've usually done it in a joking and a humorous manner. For example, I've told you the frustration that I feel with this roundabout just down the street at Fairview in Morgantown. By the way, by the way, speaking of the roundabout, I recently uncovered some footage that really testifies to the reality of my frustration, kind of gives weight to the way I feel about that, uh, and uh, I wanted to show it to you. It won't look like Fairview and Morgantown just because it's dark at night, but believe me, this is Fairview and Morgantown, and this is the way a lot of people treat the roundabout down there. Here we go. Okay. 
I've got my technical team working on that to try to find a license plate so I can turn that over to the authorities, and I hope that it's none of you. But I want to be honest and I want to be transparent with you for a moment. I'm going to step aside from the pulpit, so to speak, and I want to talk to you dads here, not as a preacher to his congregation, but I want to speak to you guys as a father to a father's, one father to another. And I look back on my years of being a father when my children were still young and still at home, I'll be honest and tell you today that one of my biggest regrets is I didn't always handle my emotions and my stress and my personal struggles as well as I should have in front of them. And here's what I mean by that. Let me just try to explain. You know, being in ministry can be difficult. And I don't say that this morning for you to feel sorry for me in any way, shape, or form. And I don't say that suggesting that my job is harder than yours. I don't know what all of you do, but I'm sure many of you have very difficult, very stressful jobs that you go to each and every day. When you're in ministry, you wear a lot of different hats. You have a lot of different responsibilities and roles. When you're in ministry, you find yourself answering to a lot of different people who all think they're your boss. When you're in ministry, you live under the deadline of a big event that happens every week, and there's no off-season, there's no open dates, there's never a break. In ministry, you have a front-row seat to some of the deepest levels of human suffering and sorrow, and you can't even begin to imagine how difficult it is to have up-close and personal contact with that level of suffering and sorrow and then have to go home to your family like it's just another day. Ministry is very lonely. And that doesn't have anything to do with how big your church is or how many people you're surrounded by. It's not a numbers thing. It's a responsibility thing. And on top of that, and this can vary depending on how you're wired personally, but it's difficult to not feel an immense amount of pressure every single day to reach more and more people for your church to grow larger and larger and to just experience what might be called ministry success. Because after all, at the end of the day, you're dealing with matters of eternity. And I know that there were times when my attitude and my demeanor and my interactions with my family were negatively impacted by how poorly I dealt with all of these issues and many, many more. But I want to tell you, dads, again, just one man to another, if there was one thing that I did right... I always tried to be honest with them, especially in the lowest moments. And that's what I would encourage every single father to do. And I don't care if your children are grown and even gone, it's not too late to do that. There was a time when I came home from my church in Oklahoma and I was in a very difficult place and a difficult season of life. I loved that church. We'd gone there when it was very, very small, very small. Just a little over 100 people would show up on Sunday morning for worship. It was just me and a part-time secretary, and I poured myself into that ministry. I worked so hard, and God blessed that ministry, and it began to grow exponentially. The church would double its attendance in a year's time, and it did that for multiple years. And now the church had become very large, and uh, I had a large staff that were working with me now. But because the church was so small when I began there and because I had been involved in so much of the ministry that led to the growth, the people in the church, they just wanted me. They didn't want the staff. When somebody was in the hospital, they didn't want the associate pastor to come visit. They wanted me. When somebody needed counseling, they didn't want to talk to somebody else on staff. They wanted to talk to me. When somebody was getting married, they wanted me. Everything. And I made the mistake of always for years and years trying to answer every request and every call. 
And I'm a person who makes a to-do list every day. And so I went into my office on Monday morning and I made a to-do list. I took out a legal pad and I made a to-do list, a legal pad. And when I got to the very last line on the pad, I just, I just had a moment where I thought to myself, I can't do this for another day. Not another day. And about that time, and I think this is a God thing, I heard the voice of one of our elders out in the outer office. His name was Dave, and he was actually the chairman of the elders. And I went out and said, Dave, can you come in and talk to me for a minute? And he came in, and he sat down, and I told him, I said, listen, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need some time away. I need a break. I said, we can call it a sabbatical. I said, we can call it a study break. I looked at him, and I said, we can call it a resignation if that's what it takes. But I can't do this for another day. And he was very gracious, and the eldership was very gracious to the church. They gave me a lengthy time off and uh, even did some nice things for my family while we were away. But I went home that night, and I told my children. I basically looked at them, and I said, listen, I'm in a bad place. I said, I'm deeply depressed, and I'm emotionally drained. And so because of that, I'm stepping away from church for a while. And they knew that when I stepped away from church, that I went every week, twice a week, to see a Christian counselor so that I could learn how to better manage my emotions. Now, I'll tell you this morning that I know that was not easy for my children to hear. I know it was painful for them to hear and to see. But they were old enough to hear me say, I'm not Superman, and I don't have the strength to do this for another day the way it is right now. I've always told my children the truth about the reality of my life. I've not always done it perfectly. I don't want to give you this wrong idea. Uh, I've, I've been as imperfect in doing that as I've been in every other part of my life, but I've always tried to tell them the truth. I've tried to tell them the truth about my family and my, my, my mother and the mistakes that she made and my father and my grandparents and, and how deeply dysfunctional the family was and the effect that it had on all of the children. I even a few uh, months ago sat down and wrote down the entire story of my family and gave them a copy so that they could have that as a record of heritage. And I gave that to them primarily so that they could see that even the most difficult, dysfunctional situation, the grace of God can overcome anything. How many of you believe that's true? That was my purpose, so that they could see that the grace of God can overcome everything. And I'm telling you this morning, if you are a dad, you have a tremendous amount of influence on your children. And so one of the most important things you need to do is you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with your children. Let me ask you this question this morning. What do you think would have happened if there had been a time in Abraham's life when he sat down with his son Isaac and he said, son, there was a time when I brought great shame on our family by lying to King Abimelech about who your mother was. He said, I not only brought shame on our family, but I disrespected your mother and I put her in a very dangerous and vulnerable position. And then he said to Isaac, this is not what a man of honor does. But in that moment, I gave into my fear and I gave into my anxiety instead of trusting God. And it's something that I can tell you that I deeply regret today. And the only reason why I'm telling you this now is because I want you to learn from my mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes I made. What do you think would have happened? If you're a father, you just need to know that your children are going to pick up on some of your bad habits and your bad qualities. That's going to, be, that's going to happen. But if you can be wise enough and honest enough to see yourself for who you really are, and you can talk about that with your children when they're old enough to understand, then I'm not sure there's a greater gift that you can give them 
I've experienced a lot of blessings in my life. I've experienced more than I ever dreamed or imagined in my life. But I can tell you this morning that pretty much my greatest joy is the fact that my children, who are both now grown adults, are here in church with me every week, not just attending, but using their gifts and their talents to serve alongside of me. I am not a perfect father. I am so far from it. But I've always tried to be an honest father, and that's what you need to do as well. Right down next to number three. Every father needs to give... His children, something to continue, something to avoid. And number three, we need to give our children something to remember. And it needs to be something good. Now, if we look back at our text and we kind of fast forward from where we were in verses 6 through 11, we know that Isaac becomes a wealthy man and he becomes so wealthy that he begins to make the Philistines uncomfortable. And so King Abimelech comes to him and tells him to move because he's become too powerful. And so Isaac does, and he has some problems finding a place to move because there's some quarrels among his herdsmen and the herdsmen of the area that he's trying to live in. But finally, finally he gets settled. And once he gets settled, God speaks to him. Look at Chapter 26 and verse 24, God speaks to him and says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Now, those words, again, are very similar to words that God had spoken to him at the beginning of the chapter. But here's what I really like. We read on in verse 25, and it says, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he he pitched his tent, and there his servant dug a well. And it's the first part of verse 25 that stands out to me where it says, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Now look up here. I'm going to ask a question. Why do you think Isaac did that? Why do you think he dug a well, or excuse me, built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord? I'm telling you why. It was because it was something that his father Abraham had done before him, not once, but over and over again. And I have to believe that it's something that Isaac had heard about all of his life while he was growing up. In ancient days, there was an oral culture. In ancient days, they didn't really write down things like we might do or record things like we might do today. What they did was they passed on the stories and the traditions of their families by talking about them. So in the evenings, they would sit around the fire, for example, and they would say, do you remember or do you, let me tell you about the time. And they would, that was an oral culture. They passed on history that way. And I'm sure that Isaac, as a boy, grew up listening to these stories about how in key moments in his life, his father Abraham would build an altar and reach out to God. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God first called Abram, that we are talking about is Abraham. It says in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And this is what happened. So he, Abraham, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In Genesis 12 and verse 8, the very next verse, we see Abraham building another altar. It says, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 18, it says, so Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. Do you see a pattern here? There's a pattern here. Abraham had given his son Isaac an example to follow, something to remember that he duplicated in his life. His custom was to build an altar to God at every key moment of his life and worship God, call out to God in those moments. 
You know, if you're a dad and you're here in church this morning, then that's a great thing. That's a tremendous thing. Your being here sets a great example for your children. Now you need to do everything that you can to build on that example. You know, the truth is men tend to be, from the most, for the most part, reserved about things of an emotional and a personal nature. And oftentimes our relationship with God, our personal relationship with God is, is too personal and too emotional for us to feel comfortable talking about. But we need to do that. I know that some men are wired in a way that makes it really difficult for them, but it's necessary, men, for you to talk about your relationship with God, about your faith in God, so that your children can hear about it and know about it. It's necessary for them to see and hear examples of the reality of your spiritual life. That includes going to church, but it's more than that. Your kids need to know that you pray. They need to know that you worship outside of the weekend services. They need to know that you serve. They need to know that you see the value of caring for other people and putting their needs above your own. They need to know that you're committed to being a good steward with everything that God has entrusted to you. And on and on and on, your kids are going to see your faults and they're going to see your flaws. We've already talked about that. You can't hide those things from them, but they need to see your strengths as well, your spiritual strengths as well so that you can give them an example to follow, something to remember and an example to follow. You need to do that. So down the road, listen to me, down the road, when you're not here any longer, when we're not here any longer, and our children come up against the really difficult moments of life and they ask themselves, what would my dad do? They'll have an answer. They can say, I know my dad would pray. Or they would say, I know my dad would open up his Bible and he would search for God's wisdom in the Scriptures. Or I know my dad would tell the truth. Or I know my dad would persevere and not give up. Or I know my dad, whatever it might be. We need to give our children the ability to have those moments when we're gone and they come up against the most difficult moments of life. My father died last year on Valentine's Day. I've told you that story. We've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to rehash that. But I'm going to tell you this, that today, I have one thing that belonged to my father. One thing. That's all. I have a golf club. That's it. I don't have any anecdotes or stories that begin with the words, I remember that one time when my dad and I, I can't tell you a story that starts like this, the one thing my dad always said to me or my dad always taught me, I don't even have a picture of me and my dad, not just the two of us. I don't have any life lessons from him except what not to do. And the only reason why I bring that up is because I'm absolutely certain that I'm not the only one with that story today. I'm absolutely certain that there's some of you who can say the exact same thing. And if that's the case, if you're like me, then how much more important is it for us to make sure that our children never find themselves in that situation. We need to give them something to remember. Being a father is not for cowards. Brian, you can come out and we'll close. Being a father is not for cowards. It's a difficult job, but as difficult as it is, it's something that we need to embrace, and we need to embrace it completely. We need to be thankful every day in our lives if we have the privilege of knowing that there's somebody in the world who calls us dad. We need to be thankful for that. 
We need to give our children an identity to continue. We need to be transparent with our children about our weaknesses so they can learn from our mistakes and hopefully avoid them. And we need to make sure that our children see our spiritual commitments so they have something to remember, especially when they find themselves in the most difficult moments of life. Most of all, we need to make sure that our children know that God always has first place in our lives. That's a critical thing. Now, we're going to close our service, or at least this part of our service, different than we normally do. And we did this last night, and we did this this morning at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to be real honest with you right now, guys. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone, some of you, this morning. But my expectation is that you'll do what I ask you to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing. Brian's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing the chorus of that great song, You're a Good, Good Father. And as we sing that song, if you're a dad this morning, I don't care what age of your children is. You might, your children might be grown, and you're a grandpa. You might be a great-grandpa. If you're somebody here today who has it in your heart that you're, you have a deep desire in your heart to one day be a dad, then when we start singing that song, I want you to come down here and stand with me. We're going to have to cover this whole area. You're going to have to go around on the steps both sides. I want you to come up on the steps. I want you to come as close. Some of you are going to spill out in the aisles. I want you guys in the balcony to come down too, and we're going to pray together as dads. Man to man, we're going to pray together as dads this morning, okay? So you stand together. We're going to start to sing, and you guys start coming right now. I want you to come. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. one big brotherhood of guys who have one thing in common. We're all just a bunch of sinners, right? In desperate need every day of our lives for the grace of God. So I want you to reach out and put a hand on somebody's shoulder because we're a brotherhood. I'm going to kneel. If you want to kneel where you are, that's fine. I'm going to kneel. And I want us to pray today and we're going to ask for God's blessing on all of our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being the good father that you are and the God who loves us and cares for us and and gives us so much day after day after day. And we confess together this morning, as we just said, we confess that we're just sinners. We struggle with things every day of our lives. And we we struggle with confidence. We struggle with faith. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle sometimes with specific sins that, and specific temptations that, that uh, war against us and war against the very, the very heart of our lives. We're just sinners that are saved by grace in desperate need of you. And so we just confess that and we ask, Father, for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. And right now we pray in the name of Christ that you would make us the men that you need us to be to our, to our children in particular to our children in particular. 
give us the, 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 the foresight to know that as fathers, we need to give our children something to continue. We need to let them see something in us that you can, that you can continue in them. Faith, faithfulness, love, love for you, love for your word, love for your church, loyalty, all these things, mercy, care, all these things. Give, give us the courage to know how important it is to make sure that we have something for our children to continue. And Father, help us to be honest and transparent in our lives so that we can give them, through the, the, the testimony of our lives, something to avoid. You know that it may not always work every time. Our, our children may make some of the mistakes that we make, but help us to not avoid the opportunities we have to share our lives with them. Help us to be honest about ourselves and honest with our children. And God in heaven, please, please, please protect them and guide and guard and direct their lives. And Father, help us to give them something to remember. Help them to remember us as men of prayer, men who loved your word, men who were faithful to your church, men who put the needs of others above our own, men who spoke a word of calm when chaos was surrounding us, men who trusted you no matter what we could see with our eyes, who knew that you were working behind the scenes with a greater plan. God, help us. Help us to be the fathers we need to be. I pray that for men who are not yet fathers. I pray for men who have children at home still that are growing up. I pray that for fathers whose children are grown and gone. Help us to know that even if our children are grown and gone, it's never too late. As long as our chest is be- our heart is beating in our chest, that we have the opportunity to, to be good fathers to our children. Thank you for being such a good father to us. We love you so much. And together we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of us together said, amen.